The following is a message by Pastor Dale O'Shields, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer. We pray that you will be blessed by this message. Now, here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, as I said, your teaching sheets. We're going to continue our series together entitled Runway. I want to talk to you this weekend about a very important topic, the topic of reverence, showing reverence. We're talking about the eight attitudes that will lift your life to a new level. Uh, One of the most important things you can develop in your life will be your attitudes, nothing more important than the way you view life, the way you view God, the way you view yourself, and those thought processes produces the attitudes of your life that God is very concerned about because your attitudes will make or break you. The Apostle uh, Paul in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and 23, helps us to understand God's real interest and concern about our attitudes. Listen to what he says, talking to us as Christians. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, that's who you used to be before you met Christ, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, notice this, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. God says, I want to get down into the way that you think, because the way you think will form the attitudes of your life, and out of your attitudes will come your behavior. In a number of places in the Bible, you see a variety of lists of attitudes that we are to develop as believers in Jesus, uh, attitudes that reflect the nature of Christ. I want to take you to 2 Peter chapter 1 now, verses 5 through 8, which provide for us a list of eight attitudes that each of us need to develop if we're going to take our life to the next level. Notice what it says. For this very reason, make every effort. Let's put all your energy into this to add to your faith. That's the first thing, goodness, to goodness, knowledge, knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. So starting with faith, ending with love, with six others sandwiched between. There are eight attitudes that Peter reminds us of the importance of developing. Then notice verse number eight, a very important verse. For if you possess these qualities, these attitudes, notice the promise here. If you possess these qualities, notice in increasing measure, as these things are growing in your life, these eight characteristics, They will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, if you have these things in increasing measure, they're growing in your life, you're going to be much more effective as a person, and your knowledge of Christ will increase that your life, in fact, as we're using the little uh, adage here, your life will actually be able to go to an entirely new level by simply changing the attitudes that you have in life, eight of these. Now, we're talking today about adding to perseverance godliness. This is our next quality, godliness. I want to talk to you about the quality of godliness today as it relates to the topic of reverence and how these two go together. I want to share with you five things that you need to know about building the attitude of godliness or reverence in your life. This is an important, very essential part of your development. Number one, the first thing is that godliness, according to the Bible, is a way of living that comes from a way of thinking. You live a godly life because you think godly thoughts. So godliness in terms of your living comes from a way of thinking about God. It comes from an attitude of reverence. I want to link these two terms together, godliness and reverence. Say it with me, godliness and reverence. These are twin terms. They go together. They work together. I'll ask you a question. Have you ever known someone that you would consider to be truly a godly person? You met them and you you sensed something about them that just was unusual. You sensed the presence of God around them. It was though the weight of heaven was upon them and you felt just the presence of God when you were around them. 
And you, you sense not so much a, a religiosity or a stodginess or a coldness or any kind of sort of weirdness about them, but they just, they just loved God and they loved life and they seemed to have a sense of wisdom about them. And they were just living life in an enjoyable way with God. That's godliness. See, oftentimes we think of godliness as somehow a very stodgy sort of thing, that someone's godly can't have any fun. It's not true at all. In fact, sometimes we think of godly people as having a big frown on their face, looks like they've just, just been baptized in pickle juice or something, and uh, you know, it's just a sort of a miserable existence, but that is not godliness at all. Really godly people are joyous people. Really godly people, some of the most fun people to be around are godly people, because they know how to enjoy God and how to enjoy life. They really have learned something about the joy of God and the weight of heaven upon their lives in a positive sense. And so godliness is an attractive quality. It's a great attitude to have. When you develop the attitude of godliness or reverence, it really becomes something that other people are attracted to. It's a very, very good thing. Now, I'm going to add another term here because in the Bible you'll oftentimes find, you oftentimes find synonymous terms working together to help us understand a particular concept. And so we've already linked two together, godliness and reverence. Let me add one more to that, and that's the fear of the Lord. And so godliness, reverence, and the fear of the Lord. Say that with me. Godliness, reverence, and the fear of the Lord. So all of these are sort of packaged together. Now, when you hear the phrase, the fear of the Lord, again, it sort of conjures up ideas of cringing from God, wondering if God's going to strike you dead when you do something bad or wrong. And we have this intimidation factor sometimes with God, but that is not what the fear of God means. The fear of God means the honor of God, the honor of His name, the reverence toward God, the recognition of who God is. And I want to lead you down a pathway of several verses that help us to understand this concept of the fear of God reverence and godliness. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord or reverence the Lord your God and live in a way that pleases Him and love Him and serve Him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your good. So there you see that God requires that. He wants us to reverence Him, to please Him, to love Him, to serve Him. Psalm 23, a passage that you are very familiar with, and it really links us to the idea of the reverence of God, the honor of God. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all I need. He lets me rest in green meadows. He leads me beside peaceful streams. He renews my strength. He guides me along right paths, bringing honor to His name. Notice that, bringing honor to His name. So that's the idea of reverence, the idea of fearing God, that we bring honor to His name. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11 uh, the Apostle Paul talks about the power of the fear of God, the reverence of God. It is because of the solemn fear of the Lord or reverence for God, which is ever present in our minds and our thinking that we work so hard to win others. Paul says the reason that we want other people to come to know God is because we have such a reverence for Him ourselves. We want everyone to know Him. So this attitude of reverence toward God changes the way you think and changes the way that you live. It makes you a godly person. Reverence and godliness, the fear of God all go together. Now, there are three things that you need to understand about God if you're going to revere Him. Okay, If you're going to really honor His name and revere Him, there are three things that must be settled in your mind about God. First of all, there must be a solid acknowledgement in your heart and mind of the existence of God. You've got to believe down to the core of your being that God is real, that God exists, that He is the true and living 
God. Can I have an amen right there this morning, okay? That we believe that there's someone superior beyond us, someone greater than us that exists, who created us. And so this forms the foundation of our life that we don't believe that the world is an accident. We don't believe that people are an accident. We believe that there is a creator God that exists. And we acknowledge that that begins to build the fear of the Lord and the reverence of God in you. And then second of all, there's an acknowledgement of God's authority because God exists. He has authority. What I mean by that is this, that he is completely and supremely true and right and powerful and good. Amen? He exists, but he exists in a nature. God has a nature. He has a character. God is supremely and completely true. That is, he will never lie. He is the source of all truth. God is completely and sovereignly and supremely true. He is completely, sovereignly, supremely right. He's never wrong. He is supremely powerful. There is no one as powerful as our God. And he's also supremely and completely good. There is no badness in God. only light in him. So we believe that he exists and he exists with authority. And then thirdly, we must believe that there is this responsibility on our part toward God. This builds the fear of the Lord in you, that God exists, that he has authority, and that I, you, we are responsible to him for the way that we live our lives. When you and I begin to frame our thinking with those three acknowledgments, we begin to understand something about what it means to fear God, to reverence Him, to create this attitude of godliness that Peter was talking about. The second thing I'd like to share with you today about godliness is that reverent people acknowledge that their life resources come from God. One of the marks of a reverent person with a reverent attitude is the awareness that all of their right life resources come from the source capital S, the source called God, the one who is God. And it means that reverence is cultivated in your life by a sense of gratitude about what God's given you. Not only does he exist, but he exists in a personal way in the sense that he has done wonderful things for you, that he deeply cares about you. And it's not just God exists somewhere in the distant sky or the universe, but no, God is very real in my life. And one of the ways that I know that God is real in my life is because God has blessed me in some wonderful ways for which I am grateful. Amen? Okay. And there there are four gifts that God has given to you that I want to remind you. I actually will add a fifth one on as we come to the end, but four that I've listed for you there on your notes. The first thing is to realize that your life itself is a gift from God. The very fact that you have life, God has given you this gift of life, and your life is something that is precious. It was a gift that God gave to you and something that you and I should value and be appreciative of. Genesis 2 verse 7 lays out this foundation of the God being the giver of life. The Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. Notice this, the breath of life and the man, humanity became a living being. And so we owe our our life, our living being, if you will, to the breath of Almighty God. Job speaks of this in Job 33 verse 4. The Spirit of God has made me. The breath of the Almighty gives me life. I want us to take a moment today and just thank God for our life. Amen. God has given us life. Your life is a gift from God. Not only has God given you the gift of life, which you ought to be appreciative, but he's also given you provisions. Your provisions are a gift from God. 
Every time you pull up to a dinner table, a breakfast table, a lunch table, and you, uh, you, you take your fork, your spoon, you eat of that food, that's a resource that God has given you. You may think, you know what, well, I earned this, I worked hard for it, but God gave you the energy to earn that. God gave you the opportunity to earn that, and so your resources come from God. That's why I'm a big believer that when you sit down in a meal, you ought to give thanks to God before you eat that meal, okay? You know, something that's a lost art in our world today, a very few people, in fact, I've noticed even among Christian believers, you know, they sort of sit down at the table and start eating. You know, stop for a moment before you eat that first bite and say, folks, let's take a moment and thank God for the blessing He's brought to us. If you're in a restaurant, bow your head and say, God, I thank you for the blessing of this food because it becomes a testimony to people around you that you are grateful to God who has blessed you with every good and wonderful gift in your life. Your provisions are a gift from Almighty. God. Psalm 111 verse 5 says, He, God, provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. Notice Matthew 6, 31 through 33, the very words of Jesus. So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He will give you everything you need. God is the provider for every need in your life. And then we need to be grateful for the talents that have been given to us by God. Every person here, you are talented, whether you realize it or not. They're talents or gifts that God has given you in terms of your unique capacity as a human being. And sometimes we're not so much convinced of our capacities, our abilities, but you are a gifted person. I want to encourage you this morning to just take a moment and turn to that person beside you and tell them you are really gifted. Go and tell them you are really gifted, okay? We don't hear that very often. But it's important to realize that the talents that we have came from a source, amen? You didn't develop certain innate abilities that you have. The innate abilities that you have inside of you, God placed in your DNA when you were formed in your mother's womb. And you as a unique person have certain capacities that no one else will have. Of course, they have to be developed and grown. You have to learn things about your gifts and talents and and you have to polish them and utilize them well. But they're they're the source. They're a gift from Almighty God to you. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 says there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of them all. Verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12 says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us. Notice that. No one is left out to each of us so we can help each other. And then Peter in 1 Peter 4.10 says, God has given each of you. Notice again, it's not just to certain individuals, but each person God has given to each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. And I also want to remind you today that your success is a gift from God. Whatever success you ever have in life in any realm, you know why you're successful? Because God blessed you. God blessed you and enabled you to succeed in any realm where success will be in your life. You and I can't take credit for that success, although we may work hard and and provide our part to it. At the end of the day, it's all about God allowing us to experience any success in life. And Deuteronomy 8 verse 18 says, remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you the power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant. He confirmed your ancestors with an oath. And so what do we remember? Your life is a gift from God. Anyone thankful for that? Yes, that produces 
reverence in you. The second thing that we talked about is that your, your, not only is your life a gift to God, but your provisions are a gift from God. When you recognize that your provisions are there, thank God for it. It produces reverence. Your talents are a gift from God. And then, as we talked about, your success is a gift from God. But let me add one more thing that is not in your notes there, but you also need to be very, very grateful and ultimately have the most gratitude for your Savior is a gift from God. Amen, okay? That Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth. God sent His only begotten Son into our world so that whoever will believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And there is no gift greater than the gift of Jesus Christ, our Savior. When you and I realize what God did for us in sending His Son for us, there's deep gratitude in our heart and appreciation and reverence for God for who and what He has done. Again, reverence produces godliness. The third thing to understand here today about reverence is that reverent people grow their relationship with God. The most powerful and fruitful life is a life that's lived in cooperation with God and connection with God. And one of the things that I've noticed about people who are godly, godly people, is not only are they fun to be around and attractive to be around, but they, they have this insatiable hunger to grow, to grow their relationship with God. It's as though they, year by year, recognize more of their need for God. Instead of becoming more independent of God over time, they become more dependent on God over time. Have you noticed that about people who are really godly? That year after year, it seems like they just are depending on God more this year than they did last year. And then the next year, they have more of a dependence on God. They're always growing in their sense of, I need God. I need Him every moment. I need Him every hour. I'm living in dependence upon Him. And they've come to realize some things about themselves and some things about God. And I will tell you in these several things I'm going to share with you, these four things I'll share with you that you and I need to come to recognition that, first of all, we, are lim- we have limits in our life, but God is limitless, okay? And that creates dependency because now my godliness is formed by the fact that I I need God because I'm going to run up against things in life where I'm limited. I don't have what I need to do what I need to do. And so my limits bring me to the edge and the boundaries of myself. And then I can lean out and lean in and find a God who is limitless. I begin to realize more and more over time that I'm weak, but God is strong. That creates godliness in your life. The more you realize how weak you are, okay, in your own humanity, all of us today in our own humanity, we're very, very weak creatures, weak in our humanity, but in our weakness, we're able to find a God who is strong. Let the weak say, I am strong in the Lord. And that we are foolish so often, but God is always wise, amen? See, when you realize, I need God, I'm limited, but God is limitless. I need God because I'm weak, but he is strong. I need God because I'm foolish and left to myself. I'll do a lot of foolish things, but, but God is wise, so I need to lean into him for his wisdom and that I am natural, but God is supernatural. Amen, okay? That I'm going to come again to the limits of my capacity because I am natural. There, there are things I cannot do because I'm, I cannot produce a miracle. Can you? Not a single miracle I can do. There's not a miracle that I can do. I can't do anything miraculous. I'm natural. But I will tell you that when I lean into God and I begin to depend upon Him, I find that in the midst of my natural world that God comes with His supernatural power and does things that only He can do. And all these things build in us this growing dependency upon God. Can I encourage you today? I want to encourage each one of you 
that one of the attitudes that you and I need to develop in our life is the attitude of the godliness, and that godliness involves reverence, and reverence comes from just continuing to grow your relationship with God so that day by day you're more dependent upon Him than you've ever been in your life, and as you depend upon Him, wonderful fruit begins to come from your life. Jesus speaks of this in John chapter 15. Listen to what He said. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. And then in verses 4 and 5, he said, remain in me. That's depend upon me. And I also, as I also remain in you, as I come and connect with you, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, notice this, you will bear how much fruit? Much fruit apart from me. What does it say right there? Have you noticed that? Apart from me, you can do some good things. No. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you really believe that verse of Scripture? See, the more you believe that, the more dependent you're going to be on God and the more godliness will be in your life. Because as I depend upon Him, His nature, His unlimited power begins to be expressed in and through me. Verses 7 and 8, Jesus continues with this theme of John 15. If you remain in me and my words remain in you... Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear. Notice again, how much fruit? Much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Again, it says dependent relationship upon God. Every hour I need you. Every minute I need you. Every second, God, I need you. I'm leaning into God, growing my relationship with Him. Paul went through a difficult period of time in his life, and he was being buffeted by the works of darkness. He was appealing to God for deliverance from his times of difficulty and trouble, and God spoke to him in a very clear way in this theme of dependency upon him. And notice in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, what God said to Paul, but he, God said to me, Paul says, my grace is, notice this, what's the word there? Sufficient. That means it's enough. If something is sufficient, you don't need anything else, right? Are you with me, church? Okay. If something is sufficient, you don't need anything else. It's enough. My grace is sufficient. It's enough for you. For for my power is made perfect in weakness. Now Paul turns the corner and says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Paul said, I've learned something about how to tap into the strength of God. I tap into God's strength by acknowledging how much I need Him because of my weakness. The fourth thing I want to share with you today about reverence is that reverent people consistently give their best for the glory of God. Really reverent, godly people live a life of always giving their best so that God can get the glory through their life. Because reverence or godliness changes the way not only you think, but changes the way you live, and it also changes something else. It changes the way you work. I want to talk to you about this just for a moment, so listen closely. One of the places where you're going to spend the majority of your life, time and effort, is in your work. Whatever your work is, whether it's a particular job you have, or if you're a parent that's at home with your kids, whatever your work is, you're going to spend a lot of time in your work. Your work is a big part of your life, right? Okay. A lot of hours there. 
And here's the problem with a lot of us at, time, as, at times as Christians. We have this tendency to think of our worship as separated from our work. I come to church on the weekend and I worship, okay? So I have that time of worship and that's important and, and rightly so. And maybe each day you pick up your Bible or devotional and have some prayer time and you have some daily worship that you do personally. That's good. That's awesome. But then we have this tendency to sort of say, okay, I worship on the weekend and maybe I worship during the day a little bit in terms of my time with God, but then I go to work. And then suddenly it's like work becomes separate from your worship. That's not the way God ever designed work. Your work is actually a part of your worship. Did you know that? That when you go to work, actually you're going to work to utilize the gifts and talents that God has given you to better the world around you, to make some kind of added value to whatever it is that you might be doing, to utilize those gifts, to create provision for your life. All these are ways in which you're actually able to utilize your work as worship. And until you understand that your work and your worship are synonymous, they're part of your life together, then you're going to separate these out and you'll never give your best. And so when you go to work, understanding my work is my worship, then suddenly I'm not working for somebody, I'm working to bring glory and honor to God. Amen, okay? Are you seeing the difference here? And so I show up on my job, and I'm not there just to please my boss. I'm there to bring glory and honor to God, okay? Now, I hope I honor and please my boss as a part of the process, but in the same time, it's really beyond that. I'm actually utilizing my life in a godly way, that I'm living a godly life. I live for God not just one day out of the week or not just a little bit of time in the morning when I have my devotions. I live for God 24-7, 365, Amen. So when I'm in the office, I'm still a worshiper, amen? If I'm in my job place, I'm still a worshiper. Wherever I am, I'm still in a place of worship. When you realize that your work is your worship, it changes the way you work. You work differently. You work by giving God your very best at that moment. So vital, notice as the Scripture speaks of this in Colossians 3, verse 17, and whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Colossians 3, 23 and 24, Paul continues, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Maybe I should read that again. Did you hear it? Work willingly. Let us put your whole effort into it at whatever you do. I don't know what your job is, but whatever it is, it's important to God. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is who? Is Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So reverent people realize that everything I do when I wake up in the morning, when I go to work during my day as I'm making my journey to my work and my journey back home and back in my home, everything I do when I eat or drink or whatever I do, godliness is saying I'm doing it for the glory of one. As some have said, I live constantly for the audience of one that's to please God to bring him glory and honor and bring praise to his name amen are you seeing that that changes everything godliness is not boring godliness is what produces great things in your life last thing I'd like to share with you today about godliness is that 
godly or reverent people, treat other people respectfully and honorably. This is the place that we miss it so often. Let me just want to just stop right there for a moment and say, you know what, I probably have blown this from time to time, right? Okay. It's true because godliness gets transformed from not just our relationship with God, but also our relationship with people. Because if you truly respect God, you'll respect people. Let me say that again. If you truly respect God, you'll also respect people. Amen? Because really you have to understand that you can't say that you love God and hate people. There are a lot of folks that say, you know what? Oh, I really love God. just can't stand people. No, it doesn't work that way, okay? If you really love God, you have to love people too because God loves people. And if you love God, you're going to be in love with people. God is a people God, amen? God loves people. And if there's anything in our heart that is contrary to love for people, then that's contrary to godliness, amen? Okay? Anything that's in your heart of hatred toward another person or anything that gets in your heart toward another individual or group of individuals, that is something that, that, is, that if, if, it, if it's contrary to love, that is something that is contrary to the heart of God because God loves people and God wants all of us to have the attitude of love toward others, respect and honoring people as we honor God. And the Bible is filled up with instructions. I don't have anywhere close to the time this morning to walk you through all the different passages in the Bible that relate to how we transfer our relationship with God to people. But let me give you just a few. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. Micah the prophet speaking to God's people. He says, and it really helps us understand God's requirement of us as people. He has shown you, O mortal, that's O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? How many would like to know what God requires of you, right? There's the question. What does the Lord require of you? Here's the answer. To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Here's the answer. Here's God says, I want you to act justly. I want you to love mercy. And I want you to walk humbly with me. That's what I require of you. Jesus when he came on the scene, he came into a world that was oriented, a religious world that was oriented toward retaliation. That is, if you hurt me, I get to hurt you back. It was called an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you hated me, that I had the right to hate you back. That was the world that Jesus stepped into, and he stepped into that world, and he, he brought a different message. Amen. He brought the message. He said, you've heard it said, but now I'm saying to you, this is where you've been. This is the culture you've been in. The eye for an eye, the tooth for a tooth. You hate me. I hate you. This is the world that you've been in, but I, I'm stepping in to this world. I'm going to show you a more excellent way. I want to show you the way I want you to live toward one another. And he writes these or gives these words to us as Matthew records them in Matthew chapter 5. You've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. My goodness, Jesus just turned everything on his head, didn't he? He said, let me tell you something. The way I look at things, it's not just a matter of whether you kill someone inappropriately and you commit murder by taking someone's life, but, but you can actually murder someone by what you say to them. Amen? How many times do we... We pull out the dagger or the sword of our words and we slash somebody up with what we say and then we leave them bleeding and 
dying by our words on the inside because we haven't thought about the fact that we haven't treated them respectfully and honorably. Think what a different world it would be if we simply changed the way we verbalized our words to one another. What a different home, homes we would have if husbands and wives would be careful and instead of pulling out the daggers with one another, they would speak words of healing and building up toward one another. What about parents and children? If fathers and mothers would speak life-giving words to their children instead of death-dealing words to their kids? What if on the, in the neighborhoods we spoke life-giving words to one another? What if on the job, instead of the gossip and the backbiting and the politics and all those things that go on in the job world, what if you spoke highly of those around you and you changed your words and the way you speak and you began to treat people with a level of respect? See, that's godliness. Godly comes out, godliness comes out in the way that you and I interact with the people around us. James speaks of this, and with this we're going to conclude in James chapter 3, his words very powerful, verses 7 through 10. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It's restless and evil, full of deadly poison. And then notice this. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who've been made in the image of God. Do you see that? He says sometimes we use our tongues to praise God, and then we turn right around and use the same tongue to curse men. You hear that? We use our tongues to praise God, and then we turn right around, and 10 minutes later, an hour later, a day later, instead of not only transferring our praise to God to praise to people, we actually reverse that and we curse people. It's not necessarily even speaking there about profanity, although profanity is a part of cursing another person. You can curse someone without ever using a profane word just by what you say. Curse is to put something on someone that, that brings them down, that, that, that brings their life to a lower level instead of a higher level. And then notice verse number 10. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, notice this last phrase here, this is not... Right. He says, this is not right. It's not how I want you to live. What he's saying there is, is I want you to be godly. And a godly person transfers their relationship with God into their relationship with people, that they begin to be life-giving in the way that they speak to those around them. And so Peter says, make every effort, make every effort to add godliness to your life. Godliness is reverence. It is the fear of God. It's the thing that allows you to understand that your resources come from God and you're grateful for that. It's the thing that causes you to grow in your dependency upon God. It's the thing that causes you to give consistently your best to God and to treat other people the way God would treat them. What we realize is that godliness is a good thing. When you and I become more godly, we take our lives to a whole new level. Amen? Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, thank you for your word today. We thank you that you called us to be godly. We can't do that without your power. We're weak, but you're strong. We're natural, but you're supernatural. We're limited, but you're limitless. We come today, Lord, as people that often are less than godly. We acknowledge that. We admit that to you today, and we ask for your forgiveness. We pray that today there would be a fresh vision in each one of us to become godly people. We want to reverence you. We want to respect other people. We want to live the life that you called us to live. Work this in us. Help our life to go to a new level because godliness is a part of our attitude. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. 
I would like to close today by giving you an opportunity to ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Would you pray with me right now? Right where you are, just simply bow your head with me and I'm going to give you a prayer to pray and you can simply speak this prayer out, whisper this prayer out and from the sincerity of your heart, call upon God and I promise you that He will hear and answer you. So let's pray together. Start by simply whispering the name Jesus. Let there come uh, from your heart just the declaration of His name. Say, Jesus, I know that, that I am a sinner, that I have fallen short with you. I'm sorry for all of my sins. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you are God's Son. I believe that you are the Savior of the world. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave, that you are alive today. Now pray these words. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Give me a new start in you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says that when we call upon God's name, we call upon the Son of God, there is salvation that comes to our lives. He changes us from the inside out and you become a new creation. All things pass away. All things become new. And that's exactly what has happened to you today. Your next step really is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church. And you begin to study God's Word, get God's Word in you, and to make sure that you get a copy of the Bible if you don't have one and begin to read it. Spend some time every day in prayer. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash a new you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.